How could the Apostle Paul, as a single man who has never had kids, be a proud daddy or be held up as an example of a father? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he challenges especially you as fathers with a life vision, a goal you should set for yourself in raising each of your children and how you can reach it. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wurtson, as he begins today by proudly sharing about his family and his most recent joy. We have two of our kids, Joel and Courtney, live down in Austin. Josh and Laura live up in New Haven, Connecticut. We've got granddaughters that live up in New Haven. And then we have uh, Roll Tide. We have two of our kids, uh, Harvey and Janae, live over in Tuscaloosa. Here is H.A. I want you to look at H.A. He's only a couple months old, but he's already wearing six months clothes. You say, well, Dave, you just showed us a picture of Janae. And then you look at fat H.A. He is being nursed. I'll never forget when we had our first son, Jonathan. It was like launching the space shuttle with my mom and with Mary's mom for Mary to nurse Jonathan and Joel. In fact, the grandmothers were so uptight and made it so tough, it was almost impossible to do that. That's all changed, praise the Lord. Right now, nursing babies again, and not just using formula and all that, it's become a really big thing. One of the images that I want you to think about is that tender image of Janae nursing H.A., Because unbelievably, a single apostle named Paul is not going to be embarrassed about using the tender imagery of a nursing mom to represent him. How in the world could the apostle Paul compare himself to Janae nursing H.A.? What does that have to do with anything? Then he's also going to talk about the fact that he is an incredible example of a dad. And he's a single guy, so that's another twist. Go, how in the world could the single apostle that never had any kids, how could he be held up as an example? I also want to speak to you, if you're an unbelieving dad, we're thrilled to death to have you here. And I just want to be honest with you, as a preacher, the reason I would be turned off about Christianity is, as I talked to guys that I worked with in construction years ago, guys just through the years I've kept in contact with, guys that work at the steel plant, guys that work at the, the cement plants in town, guys that are policemen, as I interact with guys, and before they find out that I'm a preacher and we're able to talk honestly, a whole bunch of them will say, I'm turned off about this Christianity thing. And I'll say, well, why are you turned off? And a whole lot of times they hear a story like this. Preachers are just charlatans. They use their tongue. They use their oratory to just make a lot of money, to win people over, especially those that don't really think things through. And a lot of them tell stories like they used to be involved with a youth pastor. The youth pastor really touched them. And then the youth pastor got an opportunity to go to a really big church and just abandoned them their junior year, just before they went to their senior year. And this teenager that's now become a grown man is all turned off because they said all this person was in, it was just a career choice, just a professional choice. Anybody ever heard arguments like that? We all have. What I want you to think about today is before you opt out, before you opt out of following Jesus, because I want to separate 
being part of Christendom, being part of Christianity as a religion, and really getting into having Jesus live inside of you. And so if I can show you a man who wasn't a charlatan, who wasn't speaking just for the money that he made, if I can show you a man that really was true and genuine and authentic, then you can't walk away from Jesus because a preacher let you down. And this is true in your own personal life. And also, I want to help a lot of you because you're dealing with a population today where in the American culture, preachers are not up there on the integrity factor. Because the big news throughout our culture is that preachers, they're fighting against homosexuality. Then they turn out to be gay. They're fighting against immorality, speaking about the need for families. And they turn out to be having an affair with their secretary. And if you're an unbelieving person, you say it's all just a bunch of buffoonery. Well, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, because we're going to look at a man, a single man, that lived in the first century. His name was the Apostle Paul. And this is the earliest letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. He's running to a group of people that he was able to present the gospel to. He had gone to the city and declared how Jesus had died on the cross for their sins, how he rose again. And he, because of opposition, he had to leave really fast. There was a big uproar in the city. Uh, some of the religious people in the city got they're almost a riot, so he fled. And he's running this letter back because some of his enemies are telling this young group of believers, this man's a charlatan. This man left you because he's just in it for the money. So the Apostle Paul is writing back to steady some brand new baby believers. Some of you say, well, Dave, I just came to know Jesus a few weeks ago. The Apostle Paul is actually writing back to study these believers. And the very first thing that he really talks to us about is he talks about preachers who pass the test. You have every right to evaluate those that are teaching you the Word of God. And I want you to know that the ultimate test that is taken is a test before God. How many of you have ever taken a test in your life? A couple of weeks ago, we had an examination time. Some of you that are younger men, you say, oh, man, I don't want to do that. I'm scared because all that emotion of taking a test, you need to get over that because the Lord wants you to be able to give evidence to your brothers and sisters in Christ the way that he's working in your life. Where did all this idea that spiritual leaders need to be examined, where did that come from? It came from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, let a man first be examined and then let him serve. But he wasn't just someone who gave tests to others. He himself was wide open to the test. People with integrity, people that are authentic, have no hassle at all with you examining them. They're not uptight about that. So he begins, if you look at chapter 2, verse 1, he begins like this. You know my brothers, and your sisters will be included in that. Right away, the Apostle Paul is continuing this idea of the closeness and the intimacy that he has with his fellow believers in Thessalonica. And this is all a family setting. The church in the New Testament is a family, not an organization, not a business. It is an intimate circle of brothers and sisters and daddies and mommies and children. You say, where did that come from? Look at this passage. In fact, this is a passage where as a dad, you should be going back to. And as a grandfather, I need to be going back to this passage continually. So he sets out, you know, he's saying, brothers, you, rem- you know what I'm telling you. That our visit to you was not a failure. He's saying, when I came and presented the gospel to you in Thessalonica, 
When I told you and I debated in the synagogue, and then as I was thrown out of the synagogue and I worked on making leather products and tents in the ancient world, and I talked to you as people came by my shop, and as you began to hear what Christ had done, it didn't prove empty. It produced results. As I talk to you today, Many of you can remember, I remember when I heard that Jesus died for me. I remember when I learned that Jesus rose again. And some of you are saying, I received that message. Some of you, isn't that true? Then what Paul would say is, when you heard the gospel, it had results in your life. It wasn't empty. And what I want you to do is to have tremendous confidence in sharing with your neighbors on your street. And sharing with friends at work. Sometimes I've learned it takes almost a lifetime, but you can be really confident of the power of the gospel. The Apostle Paul is saying, when I came to Thessalonica and I presented the gospel to you, it didn't produce emptiness. It produced life. It was powerful. So that's what he's reminding them of, of this tremendous movement of the Spirit. He says, we had previously suffered and been insulted at Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel, his good news, in spite of strong opposition. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that he had previously been in the city of Philippi. If you read the book of Acts, you find out that in the book of Acts, they had been actually beaten as Roman citizens, which was very unjust, and made, they'd been thrown in prison. It's a very famous story. In the middle of the night, Paul and his sidekick Silas were singing. There was a big earthquake that took place. All the prisoner chains were set loose. The bars fell down. Paul and Silas could have walked out scot-free, but instead they gathered all the prisoners. Nobody escaped. And the Philippian jailer, instead of killing himself, which would have been what a Roman jailer would do if his prisoners escaped, instead... The jailer received Jesus as the Savior. It's one of the most powerful stories. My brother Don loves to use it about the power of worship. When you really sing and you really praise, there can be earthquakes and people are set free. Can you imagine if you were Paul, you're thrown out of the city of Philippi, you end up in Thessalonica. I would have decided, I think I need to go easy on the gospel. If you've been thrown in prison and you've got big welts on your back, You're suffering because you present the gospel. Paul's not making a lot of money presenting the gospel. Paul isn't getting a lot of prestige for presenting the gospel. I want you as a man to know, here's a man you look up to. This is a man, this is a man that had stripes on his back because of what he preached. He really meant it. He suffered with Christ. Al Larson, when I was at Houghton College years ago, Al Larson was a missionary like Paul presenting the gospel in Africa. He was actually the one that was responsible for the missionaries when there was a terrible revolt called the Simba Revolt. And Al was in charge because two of their buddies were in prison. Dr. Paul Carlson was one of them. And Al Davis was with Dr. Carlson in that jail. And they were suffering because they presented the gospel. My friend Al was in charge of negotiating with the Simbas, trying to get them released. Dr. Carlson and Davis tried to get away. Carlson helped his buddy over the fence. 
Davis reached back to try to get Dr. Carlson's hand. He grabbed his hand, and as he lifted him over the wall, the Simbas unloaded a machine gun on him, and Dr. Carlson slumped, and he was gone. And he was a martyr for the cause of Christ. And I'll never forget Al Larson weeping as he told me this story when he came to visit me in college. And I'll never forget the young man saying, here was a man whose one of his friends had died for Christ. He was an authentic man. And that made a great impact on my life as a young man. As fathers and as grandfathers today, the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm an example of a man that you can trust. I'm authentic because I've suffered for what I believe and what I say. So he tells them about that past heritage. And what convicts me about this as a dad is sometimes I'm scared to present the gospel just because someone might reject me. Anybody feel that? I don't want to be laughed at. You know, I don't want someone to ridicule me, and it keeps me from sharing the gospel. The example of Paul as a man who had stripes in his back helps me to get over that. Because sometimes physical opposition is easier to handle than psychological, emotional opposition. I want Paul's example to help both of us as men and women, all of us, to get over our hesitancy to proclaim the gospel. Not just invite people to church, as good as that is. Not just talk generally about Christianity. People need to hear your testimony about what the crucified Christ and what the risen Christ has done in your life. The Apostle Paul goes on. And he talks about what was the basis of that power that his proclamation of the gospel had. Look at verse 2. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor will we try to trick you. Three important things. If you want to influence people, the Apostle Paul is saying that you need to be speaking the truth. As a dad, you want to be sure that what you're teaching your kids is you can say to them when they graduate from high school, start to go away to college or career, you can say, what I taught you was not erroneous. It was true. It was free from error. The only way you can do that is to really know the truth of this book. The Apostle Paul is saying, number one, that the way I influenced you is what I told you was true. It was free from error. The second thing, he says, I didn't have impure motives. How many of you have ever had someone that's trying to persuade you of something and you're saying, man, something's fishy here? The motives aren't clear. The apostle Paul was a man that when you were with him, his authenticity flowed out of the reality of his life. And he humbly presented the truth. He's saying, I had no impure motives. And the word impurity is often used. He had no sexual motives. He wasn't trying to to do things with women that were illegitimate. But it also is a much broader thing. There's no impurity. He wasn't in it just for the money. As he goes on and shares, he says that we did not have impure motives, nor did we try to trick you. On the contrary, we spoke as men that were approved by God, being trusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. You know, we never use, now we add some more phrases. We didn't flatter you. How many of you have ever met somebody that butters you up? How do you feel about that? Well, watch out. It's really powerful. Someone that praises you, someone that really reaches out and talks about what a great person you are, that's dangerous. It gets inside of you, and it flatters you. The Apostle Paul said, I didn't do that. 
He said, I didn't put on a mask to cover greed. God is our witness. You see, in the ancient world, there were a bunch of teachers, just like there are in our world. Like in my life, I know that there are speakers that travel the country, and they do it for all kinds of things, sales conventions, all different kinds of things. They get incredibly big bucks, $80,000, $100,000 a pop. And that's why you all sit here cynically and go, man, I don't believe what anybody says. The Apostle Paul says, hey, I wasn't that kind of a guy. Like, I didn't get big bucks for what I preached. I didn't put on a mask to try to get money from you. And so if there's one man that actually follows Christ like that, then I need to follow him. Then I need to, I need to let that same Holy Spirit at work in my life. And I'm letting this speak to my heart today. Because I want to ask the Lord, Lord, help me not to be someone who has those kind of false motives, who flatter people just to, so I can get inside them and, and, and it becomes a mask to be able to get their money. And the big thing, he says, God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not, not from you or anyone else. One of the most important things is for us to realize that ultimately every single one of us, especially as fathers and as grandfathers, we need to be letting God test our heart. And we need to be asking the Lord if we're pleasing God. Instead of being a man pleaser, we need to be a God pleaser. For example, I've been doing this since 73, since I was in my early 20s. As I talk to young pastors in their training, a lot of pastors are really concerned with the way you're going to react. And I want to teach them. It's important to begin where you're at. It's important to talk in words and symbols and phrases that connect with you. But you want to be really sensitive as an audience of believers. Is someone just telling me what pleases me, what I respond to, or do they talk to me about things that I know that God really wants me to hear, and sometimes it cuts right across what pleases me? You know what I'm talking about? If you're really going to hear a person of truth, and when I try to train young guys in speaking, when women are sharing in youth groups and women's groups, it's really important for you to open this book. And even if this book cuts across what pleases your audience and they are tempted to reject it, you need to hang in there. The Apostle Paul wasn't trying to please men he was trying to please God. And he's saying, I didn't live for the praise of men. See, in my own life, for example, like when I went to Dallas Seminary, the big phrase was the Dallas man. And the idea was it was an appeal to our pride. We've changed that. Now it's about being a servant leader, which is a whole lot more biblical. But when I went to seminary, they would bring in these really powerful preachers, and they were in great big churches. And the idea was, if you win the preaching award at Dallas Seminary, you're going to go out there, and you're going to be able to climb up the ladder, and you're going to have a great big radio program, you're going to have a great big church, and you're going to be really successful, and everybody will know you. And I want you to know, deep inside of me, I hate that, but I also love it. When I was young in the ministry, I remember teaching one of the first messages I gave was on this text, like a nursing mother and like an a encouraging father. And the Apostle Paul example gripped my life. Because to be honest with you, I would have opted out of Jesus. Because I was raised in evangelicalism. I had guys like Al Larson that were really authentic. 
But I had a lot of them that weren't authentic at all. And I found out, as I really got to know them, that they did flatter people. They hung out with those that were really rich, and they knew just exactly how to talk to them. And if I was, wasn't on their radar screen anymore, in other words, if I wasn't needed to advance their agenda anymore, I couldn't even get them to respond. I'd also find out that guys would lie to me. So if you're an unbelieving guy and you say, well, Dave, I'm turned off on Christianity, I want you to know I'm turned off on Christendom too. But I'm not turned off on Jesus and his true family of his children. Amen? That's really important. I also want you to know that the idea of the praise of men, slowly but surely, you start not caring about the praise of men. It runs out of gas. To be honest with you, when I was younger, if I spoke at Moody's Founders Week, that was a really big thing, and I got to do that. Now, I don't even look at who's going to speak at Moody's Founders Week because I don't care anymore. It's just not a big deal. That's what happens in life. The praise of men slowly runs out of gas. But the Apostle Paul's an example. He says it's not the praise of men that you live for. It's not the praise of your peers that you live for. As a daddy and as a grandfather and as a spiritual leader, you need to care about one day you're going to stand before the Lord and you want to receive his praise. And this passage is going to talk to us as we look a little bit farther in this passage. He's going to tell us this is what your praise, this is what your honor is going to be before the living God. You say, Dave, how can I be sure that I'm going to have honor and praise and glory when I stand before Christ? Is that a legitimate goal to have? Yeah, it is. It's because the Apostle Paul goes on and he gives us two really powerful images of what we need to be as fathers spiritually, what we need to be beginning with our families and then with those in all the sinful classes we work on. And the Apostle Paul in verses 7 through 9 uses two striking imageries, and then he ends with a third one. The first one is, he says, I was like a child. And there's a lot of debate about this. He says, I, the Greek, and it's a big convoluted textual problem. But Paul begins by saying, look at the next verse here. He says, as apostles of Christ... We could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you. That word gentle, it says, I was a child among you. And the, in Greek word, all I need to do is leave off one letter and I get gentle. If I leave the equivalent of our letter N on there, it becomes infants. And what I want to say is I'm going to go with infants against the NIV because it has the strongest attestation and it concludes what I've been talking about. As fathers and grandfathers, the Lord Jesus wants you to be like a child in your motives. See, little children can do really bad things. I've had my grandkids here with me. I'm reminded of what little kids do. And those of you that are young parents, you've got it every single day. Little children can do really bad things. But you know what? Little children don't scheme to flatter you when they're little bitty guys, there's an innocence. And Jesus used that. He says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to little children. If you're going to be an affected daddy, and the apostle Paul is modeling it for you, there needs to be a part of your life as a man that you never get over being childlike in your innocence and that you don't use all kind of manipulative means to accomplish your objective. That's the way the Apostle Paul is using this, and it sums up everything I've told you so far. 
Then he uses a second image. He jumps right away. He says, I was like a, an innocent child among you. Then he says, I was like a nursing mother. So Paul was one of these he-men, a very masculine man that was, that, was, that was calm enough and settled enough in his masculinity that he could use a really powerful imagery of a nursing mom. I'll never forget when I was a little kid, Dave Cox, who actually served on our church staff and, and now laboring in Brazil, his mom, Marianne, and his dad, Dave Cox, were living with us in New Jersey when David was born. And they brought David home from the hospital. Marianne and Dave were sleeping in the room right at the top of the stairs. And I'll never forget running up the stairs and bopping into the room. And there was Marianne, my oldest sister, nursing David. It was my first bam, wham, as a a little boy, a nursing mom. And it made a vivid imagery. There's a tenderness. Like Janae just took the nursing like a duck took the water because she's easy, she's gentle, she just loved little H.A., and the milk just flows. So now I have the imagery. Like in my boyhood, I had this imagery of my older sister nursing David. As a grandfather, Mary asked me, is it okay, you know, Dave, are you okay? I said, yeah. One of the most beautiful images is watching my little girl that's now a grown-up mom nursing H.A. And from his picture, I think she's doing a good job. And Paul says, David, are you nursing your family? Are you nursing your grandkids? Do you pull them to your side? You see, like Noah comes in. I'm getting ready early this morning, and he woke up before mom and daddy comes bopping into my study. And here I am. I'm saying, man, I got to get the last-minute thing. He wants to talk. I said, Grandpa, what's your favorite thing to do? What do you do? What do you do? Nursing moms gather their infant, and they nurse. If you want to be a good daddy, on this Father's Day, a good daddy and a good grandfather is not afraid to think about the power of a nursing mom as one of the pictures of what they need to be. If you are like a nursing mom with your little boys and with your little girls, 99.9 of them, when they grow up, will buy into your values because that's how you move people. Paul says, I was like a nursing mother caring for each of her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed the gospel to you. Say, Dave, what is the apostle Paul talking about? He's building this imagery. And what he's saying is, Thessalonians, think about the way that we ministered among you. And what he says is, I shared with you not only the milk of the gospel, but I also gave you myself. A nursing mom is giving part of herself. Now get this. Dad, if you don't learn anything else on this Father's Day, a lot of dads that I meet talk. They teach really well. They teach Sunday school classes. I have friends that were raised by preacher's kids. They are really good at verbal communication. And that's not where your kids learn most of what they learn. 
Most of what your kids learn is unspoken. It's your life. And that's the hardest thing for you to give. Like as dads, you love to teach. It's now time for family devotions. And you wax eloquent. And you teach your wife. You teach your kids. You do everything. That's a great thing to do. But the Apostle Paul is telling you something really important. Do you give your life? Dad, you know what your wife wants more than anything else? She wants your life. She wants you. Like if all you do is work and watch sports, you're going to lose your wife. You're tempting her really badly because what she wants is not just your words. She wants your being and your life. Your kids, your kids, it's sharing your life. Some of my really close friends are at sports things this week, and they're coaching their kids, and that's an awesome thing, and we want to bless you in our church family because as I look back over the influence that Mary and I had, a lot of the influence we had was all that coaching. But you know what? I can coach my kids I can teach them all about basketball, teach them all about soccer. I can train them. I can use my skills and not be present with them. We can go to McDonald's when we're done with the game. And I talk with all of my friends, and I'm totally unaware of this kid. H.B. London told about his dad. He wrote in his dad's memorial stone, he was a great preacher. But he told a bunch of pastors up in Illinois, he said, my daddy took me to all the big league games, but he flattered. I sat in the corner, and he talked the whole game with all of his friends. And he took them to the big game, and he was able to get them to give them the money he needed and to get them to support his ministry. And he says, I'll never forget it, as his son, sitting way down at the end from my dad, watching my dad. My dad didn't even know I was there. You know what I remember about my own dad? I don't remember him speaking in Madison Square Garden. I remember that in the summer, at 4 o'clock, every day, at Word of Life Island, when I was 18, I met him at the beach, and we paddled around the island. And we talked while we paddled. And now as I think about it, it was a, a busy day. Four o'clock is right at the end when you need to tie everything up. My dad's in heaven now, but what I remember is his son. is paddling canoe. And that's what I want you dads to do. I want you to think hard. Do you share your life with your wife and with your kids? Are you easy enough in your relationship with the Lord? And that leads to the final imagery. He says, I was like an encouraging father. Look what he says. When he says in verse 10, you are witnesses, and so is God of how holy. That means Paul had a godliness. The word holy is not just used of perfection here. It's used of a godliness. He had a right character. This word that's used here, the way Paul's using it here, means that I could talk to Paul's peers and they would know that he told the truth, he was ethical, that there wasn't things underneath, he was blameless. 
We are among you who believe, for you know that we dealt with each of you. And see that individualism? We dealt with each of you as a father, and as a father deals with his own children. Now, this is what Paul says fathering is about. It's encouraging. So he's picking up the imagery of the childlikeness, the nursing mom, encouraging, comforting. And then we have a word that's stronger, which is admonishing and urging. And you do need to challenge your kids. As a dad, as a grandfather, you're responsible to be one that's challenging your kids. What are you challenging them to do? To live worthy of God, who called us into the kingdom and his glory. What was Paul's glory and praise? He said, when I get to heaven, he told the Thessalonians, he said, when I send me for the Lord, he said, it's not going to be that I'm a great theologian. Paul's the greatest theologian in the Christian church. But it's not going to be that at all. Paul was the most effectively used writer in the New Testament, and it's not going to be that. You say, well, Dave, I, what's it going to be like when the Apostle Paul comes before Jesus and Jesus is getting ready to say, well done, good and faithful servant? You know what Paul says he's going to do? He's going to turn around and he'd say, Lord Jesus, these are the Thessalonians. These are the Corinthians. These are the Romans. These are the Bereans. These are the people that came to know you through the power of your spirit when I told them the gospel, and they grew in you. He's saying, I'm a single man, but he's saying, these are my kids. They're my glory. They're my praise. This is what I bring to you. That's what fathering is about. I want my kids to know my greatest praise and my greatest glory is not my doctor degree and not the places I've spoken. It's when I'm alone with my son Joel and we talk and I'm with Courtney, his wife, and I know that they love Jesus. And they're seeking to raise their kids to love Jesus. And they want Mary and me to work with them to help their kids to know Jesus. But I want you to know, you're my praise. You're my glory. You're what are my kids as the Lord uses me as I teach you the word of God and you believe in Jesus and then you grow in him and to see that multiplying, to see that reaching out, that's what I want every one of you as a dad and as a grandfather. That's what I want you to be involved in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for some dads that are here that have never really stepped over that line and They've seen hypocrites and play actors as preachers. And it's made them turned off about the Bible and Jesus. I pray that you would use what I shared today to cause them to realize that you agree with them. That hypocrisy and greed and play acting and flattery and just being an orator. That the reason they know that that should turn them off is because of you, Lord Jesus. So help them not to listen to the evil one's trick to not receive you as their Savior and to believe in you as a resurrected Lord because some of those that represent you and proclaim you 
turn out to be just play actors. I also pray for just many of the dads and grandparents today that these powerful images, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be challenged, to never lose our childlikeness, that we'd always have that kind of authenticity and humbleness. I pray that you would help us to take these qualities that Paul mentions to us and these powerful images. Help us to really see ourselves like a nursing mom with our kids and like an encouraging father. I pray, Lord, that you would really help some men that have not been sharing their lives with their kids. I'd ask you, Lord, that you would raise up another whole generation of spiritual daddies. And I'd ask you, Lord Jesus, that this incredible snapshot of Paul, childlike, like a nursing mom, like an encouraging dad, totally authentic, not just sharing words, but sharing his life, that kind of spiritual leadership by the power of your spirit would just multiply and grow. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're the ultimate one that we can trust. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.